0: Micah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, and the uh, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, matchless, marvelous word of God reads, starting at verse 1. Hear what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains, let the hills hear your voice, hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people. Remember what Balaam, king of Moab, devised? What Balaam, the son of Boar, answered him? What happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves, a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord, your God. You may be seated. God cares about justice. In the Torah, Pentateuch, we see that God, as he sets Israel apart, uh, speaks about justice. The historical narratives, we see that God speaks about justice. As we travel through the proverbial wisdom, literature, we see the Proverbs have much to say about justice. The minor prophets speak much about justice. The Gospels, Jesus throughout his ministry, he did justice. He spoke about justice. Told the Pharisees, you have done all these things. You pay your tithes and you give a cumin. You pay what's necessary to be paid, but you have Rejected the weightier things of the law, Matthew 23, 23, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk faithfully with the Lord. We see throughout the apostles' writing that Paul tells the church to bear one another's burdens and to be kind to each other. That's justice. We see in the book of Revelation, um, as we look at the apocalyptic uh, books and of the Bible, the prophetic books of the Bible, that Jesus is coming back to reign in righteousness and to do justice. God cares about justice. But knowing that God cares about justice and knowing what to do with that is two different things. And as a church, we have to know what to do about it. God cares about it he preaches about it, but what does that look like? And last week, we looked at Micah chapter 6, and we looked at how justice looks at a personal level. For us individually, what does it mean to do justice? So I want to give us a quick overview and preview about that. If you're anything like me, you watch the news, you think about personal instances or uh, things that you hear about, about systemic oppression, and you can feel overwhelmed. Say, as an individual, what, what can I do about it? And how should it look? But I think as we look at Micah chapter 6 and do a quick overview, we see the heart of God, that God cares deeply about justice. And and, and we can see what God calls us to do at a personal level in our day-to-day lives, how to do justice. In Micah chapter 6, the prophet Micah, about eight centuries before uh, Jesus was incarnate, before he was born, of a virgin through Mary, Uh, he begins to preach to God's people, Judah, and he has two indictments against them. One, he indicts them for idolatry, worshiping other gods, false gods, pagan gods. And the other is an indictment about injustice. From the top to the bottom, those who were rich and those who were poor, they were participating in injustice. People were cheating each other in business, stealing each other's land. It got so bad that the preachers, the Bible says, were preaching for money. So Israel was corrupt. In in Micah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, we see that Micah summons Israel to the Lord in order that the Lord could take Israel to court. He has an indictment against them. He's the plaintiff. And we see in verses 1 through 2 that God summons Judah... and and his witnesses. He says, Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth for the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will not contend with Israel. The prophet on behalf of God calls forth the earth. He says, Hear you mountains, hear you foundations of the earth, the indictment that the Lord is about to bring against his people. And why does the God Call forth the earth, because the earth was there when God set a covenant with Israel, with Judah. When God said, you will be my people, and I will be your God, and you'll live for me. So he calls forth witnesses that was there. And then in verses 3 through 5, we see that God speaks as a plaintiff. He gives his complaint. He says, oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. In other words, he's saying as a husband speaks to a a wife who has went astray after another lover, what have I done to you? And a husband may say that, and there may be some guilt, there may have been something that he has done that has possibly led his wife away, but the people of God cannot say that because God is faithful and he's perfect and he's just. He's done nothing but love them. So with tenderness, he speaks to his people. He says, how have I tired you? And then he gives four things that he did for Judah and for Israel. He says, I saved you. I brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Second, he says, I gave you servant leaders. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Third, he says, I secured you from satanic plots. He says, "Oh, my people, remember what Balaam king of Moab, devised and what Balaam the son of Bor answered him. You can read that in Numbers 22 through 24. Balaam, a prophet for hire, was about to speak against the children of Israel and in essence curse them, but God intervened. Third, he says, I showed you my power. He says... And what happened from Shittim to Gilgad, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. God saved them when their backs was to the Jordan and allowed the Jordan to split and allowed them to cross dry land. He says, how have I weirded you? I've been nothing but faithful to you. I've saved you from Egypt. I gave you servant land. I protected you from Satan's attacks. And I showed you my miraculous power. That just shows the human heart. And that's why we need a safe. And even in our personal lives, we can say God has been so faithful and so good to us, but sometimes we can become so self-bent and so focused on getting ahead and keeping up with the Joneses that we, that we treat God as if he wearies us. I may be cheating on our taxes or purchasing movies illegally. or firing someone right before they're supposed to get a promotion or their retirement package because we want to save money for ourselves. Third, we see that God's people miss his heart in this passage. After God speaks to him, Micah responds for the people because he knows what they're going to say, and he says, this is what they will say, what? With what shall we come before the Lord? Verse 6. And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? I want you to notice how everything they say is about to intensify. So shall I come with a calf that's a year old? Verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They had missed God's heart so much that now they're doing synchronism in worship. They're actually offering to abort or to kill their children to appease God. That's not the heart of we see that they mention all external things. And doing, making sacrifices with a, a half heart and a heart that has not been transformed by God means nothing to God. You can come to church. We can pay tithes. We can pay offerings. Uh, we can do good deeds. But if it's not coming from a heart that is amazed at God's grace, at the fact that God saved us when we couldn't save ourselves, at the fact that he's shown himself kind to us even when we don't deserve it, then it's all for nothing. God doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. And when we have a relationship, God, when we mess up, the first thing when we truly understand his heart that we do is not try to come up with a list of things to make it right. But it's, it's us rending our heart before the Lord, falling before him and just saying, God, I am sorry. I have sinned before you. I repent. Forgive me, God. Give me a clean heart. But they completely missed what God wanted. And then in verse eight, he says, he told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? That's what the Lord requires. And the only way that that's going to happen for us to do justice at a personal level is if we're walking with the Lord in humility. We're remembering who he is and who we are. And a humble heart leads to kindness, and kindness leads to justice. So what is justice? Justice is treating people right, as God has told us to. Justice is the second great commandment. It is simply loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not living life for your own advantage, but for the advantage of God and for the building up of his people. It's loving people. It's loving the least of these, those who are disadvantaged. It's being generous to people. It's not building our own kingdom, but building God's kingdom in the way that he has commanded. So last week we looked at it at an individual level and what that looked like by seeing how the Lord called us to treat each other. But today I want to answer the question, what does it mean for the church to do justice? We looked at what it looks like personally for us to do justice, but what does it mean as a church for us to do justice? As we look at our community in Newburgh, there's a a lot of things that ail us right here in Newburgh, right here in Petersburg. As we look throughout Louisville, there's a lot of things that we can look at and say, look at all these things that's wrong at, at a political level, at a social level, at an economic level. But what do we do? Because we can feel helpless. And there's two extremes. The first extreme is we can just kind of ignore that and say there's no hope. Let's just focus on saving people. Let's just take the gospel to people and make disciples, and let's make a city within a city and try to be pious, and that's it. And then there's the other extreme that says, well, let's do everything we can to meet the needs of this community. Because that's what it's all about to be a Christian is to meet people's needs. That's not what it's all about. The mission of the church, according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it is to make disciples. It is to take the good news of Jesus, what he has done, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the world, to tell them about his grace, to tell them about his love, and to make sure that they grow up in Jesus. That's our essential goal. But if we're truly doing that, our heart is broken for what is happening around us. And as our character is being transformed, we then are, do- are led to do good works. A-, a-, a Christian is a person who mourns. A Christian is a person who's blessed because they are poor in spirit. They see what's around them and they say like Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter 1, look at these people. Look at Jerusalem. The walls are torn down and people are taking advantage of my people, Lord. We need to do something about it. We're broken. We're broken. There's a balance. There's a balance. So how as a church, as Forrest Baptist Church, do we do that? I want to set vision. I want to set a vision today for how we find that balance. How we make disciples. But yet how we live in such a way that our Families flourish, our community flourish, and our city flourish. And the first thing we have to do as a church is we have to start at home. Justice starts at home. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. When you there, say, got it. If you're looking at the screen. When you there say, "Got it." All right. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So the writer of Hebrews is telling the church that we ought to remember those who are in prison as though we are in prison with them. And in context, he's talking about uh, emissaries, believers who were on mission for Jesus and who were wronged and wrongly put in prison because of their faith. And he says, remember them. Remember them. Those who are in a household of faith but who are afflicted, he says, remember them. Why does he tell us to remember them? Because it's so easy for us as individuals to forget about people who are afflicted. It's so easy for us to wrap our lives and make our lives about them. He says, remember, and don't just remember them, remember them as if you were there with them." Step into their pain as if it was you. Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, he says. Since you also are in the body. So those who are being mistreated, those who are having injustice occur on them, he says you remember them and you take care of home. You take care of home. As a church, we want to make sure we meet the needs of people in our church. It is no good for us to feed the community and there's people that's hungry right inside of our church. As the people of God, Romans chapter 12, we ought to love each other, bear each other's burdens, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And the only way that we will do that as a church is if we see the church as more than something that we do on Sunday morning. The church is not a building, it's a people. And we have to make sure that we're not coming in week in and week out as consumers to just receive something and pick and choose what we like and what we don't like and then go back through the week and live how we want to live. No, we have called, if we're Christians, we have been given a new heart by God One that causes us, by his grace, to walk humbly with us, to live with kindness, and to love other people. And we want to be conscious and open up our eyes together and look around and say, who can I help? So it's by taking care of home. It's by looking around us like the early church that says, this person is in lack, this person is in need. How can I help this person? Because I have an abundance. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 40, a very, very familiar text that we like uh, to quote, Jesus says these words, Matthew 25, verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did I see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about Christians who were in prison. Christians who did not have food. He says, as you treat your brothers in Christ, so you treat me. Our first act of justice is to look around us and to be people who steps into other people's suffering that Jesus has saved and who loves them. And a lot of times what hinders us is that we're just trying to get ahead. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses. We, we do. We, we're trying to live as if what we have on earth is going to last forever. And as the people of God, we want to remind ourselves that our best life is not now. Our best life is to come. And when we believe that in our hearts of hearts, that Jesus is going to reward us in heaven, And when we believe in our hearts of hearts that Jesus satisfies us more than a car that costs $50,000, we will help the helpless and those who are hurt. Well, Pastor, I'm strapped. Yes, you're strapped. I I know you're strapped. I'll be strapped too if I spend as much money at the mall as you did every week if I have four vehicles, that's all brand new. We start by looking at the household of faith, and that only happens when we cherish being God's people. And we seek to walk humbly, lowly with the Lord. Second, By praying for local and national leaders. By praying for local and national leaders. How do we do justice? It's by praying. First Timothy chapter 2, verse one through five. So with your Bible, look at your Bibles or the screen. And we'll, we'll read these words by the Apostle Paul. First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge. Of the truth. So we see the mission of the church is that people would come to the knowledge of the truth. But when Paul was talking to Timothy, who was pastoring in Ephesus, he said, We need to pray. We need to pray. And look at the word he uses, I urge, that's supplications. Why is he urging people to pray? He's urging people to pray because prayer is an urgent matter. Because prayer it's through prayer and God answering his people's prayer that we see things being affected and changed. Look at what the Bible says. Pray for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul believed that the prayers of the saints could affect Those who were in high positions and could lead to the church not being persecuted and living on mission. He believed that prayer mattered and that prayer changes things. And so must we. A few years um, ago, there was a Detroit mayor by the name of Kwame Kilpatrick. And I had known some people at Michigan State University who had just heard stories from family members about how corrupt he was as a mayor, personally, okay? Um, A friend of mine's on their wall in their dorm room had a picture of the mayor. And I thought that was a picture of their uncle because he had just these iced-out earrings, ice on his wrist. I'm like, oh, that must be your uncle. No, that's uh, that's the mayor of Detroit. I was like, wow. (laughs) He's he's dressed like man, you know. And uh, we were here in Louisville. Pastor Bishop was with me. Another pastor, Pastor Stan, was with me. And we were just talking about all the things that we had heard about this corrupt mayor. And our hearts became burdened. And right there, we just began to cry out for justice we began to cry out that the Lord would do justice, expose all this that's going on, and convict this man. And it wasn't a long time later till we heard on the news that he was being brought up for charges of injustice. He is now away during 28 years in a federal penitentiary. Now we could say, okay, that would have happened anyway, and maybe it would have but I believe that our prayers has something to do with it. I believe that when the people of God pray that things happen. Why do I believe it? Because the Bible says it does. Peter was in jail. The church was praying. The church of the Acts were praying. Peter got released from jail because of the prayers of the saints. He shows up at the house. He says, yo, it's me. Open up. They're like, no, it's no way. It's you, Right? We're we're praying for you. How are you out, right? Because prayer happens. It works. And we've got to come together. We've got to pray. When we don't pray, we become practical atheists. When we don't pray for our president and we just complain or we don't pray for our mayor and all we do is complain about him, we never are brought to our knees to pray for him. It's because we don't believe that God controls them and that God is able to work. Paul says, I urge you, I beg you to pray. He he says in another place, pray without ceasing. The people of God, we've got to pray. There's a woman by the name of Miriam, um, Abraham, who was a Sudanese Christian woman. And uh, she was arrested for being a Christian and was sentenced to death. And this just happened a few weeks ago. And the Christian community came together and prayed. We put pressure on on governors, put pressure on the Sudanese governor. There's a big outcry in NATO, And by God's grace, she was released. She's now in America. Sometimes we can feel so hopeless, right? And we can say, "What, what can we do? It's so much injustice. I'm telling you what we can do. We can pray. We can pray. That's one of the best works that we can do is pray. Every Monday this month, we're coming together at 6.15. From 6.15 to 10 o'clock, the sanctuary doors is open so that we can pray. Last week, we had a prayer guide up out front about world events and things that's going on across the world that's uh, unjust. And we just said, come out and just spend some time before you go to work, before your day gets started. Bring your children down here. Spend 15 to 20 minutes and just Well, I could pray at home. Yes, you could pray at home. we pray at home. But the Bible says that the house of the Lord, Jesus said, she'll be a house of prayer. And we're saying, let's just come together and pray. We had about 25 people show up to pray. But all I'm waiting for the day for is Baptist Church. When we have a prayer meeting where we're not slothful, when we run to the house of God because we believe that God answers prayer and that prayer matters, I'm waiting for the day where 6:15, 15, 7 o'clock will show up and cars are already in the parking lot waiting for the doors to be open because we are tired of injustice. And we are tired of doing things in human strength and we know that we desperately need God to intervene. I've learned that we've got to pray about praying. Because in our natural strength, we're just like the disciples, we mean well, but we will fall asleep on Jesus. Jesus said, can you not pray for an hour? That's okay. I'd rather fail at trying to pray than to not pray and fail. I think I, I was in here for a few hours. I think I, I hit a Z one time. I <laughs> woke up. Praise the Lord. Amen. Y'all, all right? <laughs> Jesus values your prayers in Revelation. It says that our prayers it's an image are kept in a, in, a, in a golden bowl and they're like incense to the nostrils of God. Oh, my sister's up early this morning. Five minutes early for work just to talk to me. We pray out of relationship, not out of duty. We pray because we know he is a living God, triune and being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mediating Jesus' presence as we pray. Cast your cares on me for I care for pray third by cooperating with the universal church by cooperating with the universal church what does that mean how do we do justice by cooperating with the universal church universal church is those who are not in our local church but who's been saved by Jesus all across the world One of the ways we do justice is by coming together as God's people, uniting together to get things done. And Sometimes we need to be reminded of this as Christians, that if someone has been saved by grace, and if they're at another church or they're in another city and they're in another country and they have truly been saved by God and believe in the resurrected Jesus, that we are related to them by blood. By the blood of Jesus. When you meet someone in the store and they start talking about Jesus, and you try to spirit by the spirit, and you see that they are lining up and they believe the same thing you believe, you should freak them out by giving them a hug and calling them sister. Sister! Because they're a part of the body. But we also are on mission with the greater body. And one of the ways that we do justice is by linking arms with people who are Christians and leveraging that together. Ephesians 4.4 4 said, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's one body. Here in the Kentucky Baptist Convention, The way that Forrest Baptist Church plays this out by doing justice, by partnering with the universal church, is that we're part of something called the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Um, Each state in the U.S. has what's called a convention. That's churches that come together to fight, uh, to, to reach the lost in that state and to fight for the things that God fights for as Baptists. And we're a part of what's called the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Christian denomination. Um, You know, some would say Roman Catholics, but it's the largest Christian denomination. All right. So we have something called the cooperative program. And the cooperative program is this. Every church, and there's over 2,500 churches in Kentucky that's active, we each year take part of our Uh, what we earn, and we give it to the convention. And the convention takes all of those funds that all the churches give, and they do things that we couldn't do by ourselves. So this year, Forrest Baptist Church, so far we've given $4,500 to the convention. Amen. Amen. And I praise God for your giving every Sunday when you give, okay? Um, Every offering that we take, a tenth of that offering goes to mission work, okay? And part of that money goes to our convention. And our convention, you can go to their website, just Google Kentucky Baptist Convention. Our convention has done a lot this year. And we're a part of that, the victories they have. Uh, One is fighting a same-sex issue. Our convention has lawyers and people who specialize in in dealing with, with the law. And they're speaking on behalf of Baptists throughout this state. And they are constantly in the face of those who are legislators with convictional kindness. Not with an attitude, but with conviction and with kindness saying, as Christians, we want you to know where we stand. This is not what's best for human flourishing. We love those who are homosexual, but we are not willing to redefine marriage. Because marriage was defined by God. And you can Google and you can see all that they've done for the issue of same-sex marriage. We also see that they are on the front lines of fighting against abortion clinics, most which are in minority areas, black areas, which is a form of systemic oppression. They're fighting against that issue. They're fighting against predatory, uh, pred- predatory aloning. Payday loans. It's not one of their major emphasis, but they've done work to work with the state to say your practices of allowing predatory loan institutions in the hood, but not in other places, is systemic oppression. It is waving money in front of people who are broke and who are in desperate need and then causing them to have to pay back sometimes 25 to 50% interest. That's ungodly. The law of God talks a lot about that. So our convention is doing that. Uh, Right now, in Iraq, how many of you have been following what's going on in Iraq? Anybody? Sort of? Well, for those who who haven't been following it, in Iraq, uh, uh, radical uh, Islamists, the uh, ISIS, um, are going from uh, different states throughout Iraq Taken over, and persecuting Christians, believing that is the will of Allah. There are Christians and minority religious groups that are hiding out on mountains, surrounded by militants, okay, who are being starved to death. There are refugees who had to leave their homeland and are now seeking uh, to, to live elsewhere because of these groups. Women and children have been beheaded. Men are being hung. It is a desperate state. We read in Hebrews earlier how we need to visit those who are in prison as if it's us. That's your brother. That's your sister. You haven't met them yet, but you are related to them by blood. And for some of us, they have more in common with you than your natural brother and sisters do. In fact, if your natural brother and sister don't know Jesus, you have more in common with them because you believe in a resurrected Jesus. And you believe in a Savior who's coming back again and one who saves by grace through faith. And our hearts need to be broken. But one of the ways we impact what's going on is by giving. And we give to the KBC. And they have what's called the Baptist Global Response, one of the number one response teams in the world, part of the SBC and International Mission Board. So when we give to the KBC, part of what they, what they do is they take that money, and they buy resources, and right now on the ground in Iraq and in other places that these refuges are running, there are Baptist teams handing out food and water. At the conclusion of this service, I'm going to tell you how you can donate just by sending one text message today to give to the Baptist Global Response. We're talking about justice. We're talking about not closing a blind eye to people who are in need and who are hurting. Fourth, by engaging the public sphere. How do we do justice? By engaging the public sphere. So we we say justice starts at home. We take care of those who are at home. We pray. We cry out to the Lord. We cooperate with other Christians. And fourth, by engaging the public sphere. What do I mean by engaging the public sphere? Christian, at work, one of the ways you do justice is by being a Christian where you work. It's by not separating church from your workplace. It's by being a good employee. One that is kind, one that's not always grumbling, one that doesn't show up late one that's trying not to cut corners. But you you go to work with the intention to show off God. To say, I am going to be good. I am going to do good because God does good to me. I am going to be kind and not grouchy and short because God is kind to me. I'm not going to be a gossiper because God doesn't gossip about me. Amen. And you live that out. And you can impact your workplace because now as you're serving the Lord, the Lord may give you opportunities to be at the table with people who are making decisions. And now you can say as a worker, yeah, but this is, this is how this affects this demographic. Also as a church and as parents, we want to make sure that we're raising up children who have a work ethic and who are not ashamed as the Lord saves them to be Christians. So your child who is going to grow up and says, Mom, I want to be a manager of a restaurant one day. You're teaching your child Christian ethics and what it means to care for people and to love people and to treat people right. So that when that person, when your child grows up to manage their own chain of restaurants, they're giving fair rate wages. And they're not trying to hoard all the money to make for themselves. That's how we do justice. That's how we do justice. Finally, by advocating and providing education. By advocating and providing education. A lack of education often leads to a cycle of poverty. As we look throughout the region and do demographics, those who are Areas that are least educated are areas that have systemic oppression and a lot of poverty. So our first concern is that people will come to know Jesus. And that they would experience his grace. That they'll look to his cross and be saved and be discipled. And in the process, one of the ways we make disciples is by showing our neighborhood and our city that we care about the things that they care about. We care about them being impoverished. We care about them not having access and resources to, to education. And we fight for them. And we seek to provide education as much as we can. Now, some people say, you know, well, that's really not our mission, and, and God can use anybody. Remember when I was called to, to preach and to minister? There was an uh, older pastor says, you don't need to go to that seminar. Jesus used people that was uneducated. Seminar meaning seminary. You don't need to go to school. All you gotta do is open up your word and preach. Right? And God uses people who haven't been a seminary. And he uses people who don't have degree uh, titles before or after their name. But the fact of the matter is, is that education is a valuable resource. And that, that we are, and we need to see the power of being educated. And by the way, he was wrong. God uses both. People say, well, the Bible says the disciples was uneducated, Acts chapter 4. And I always tell them, uh, that's what they said about the disciples. They were educated. They were more educated than the Pharisees. What? What do you mean? They spent three and a half years with Jesus. Their schooling was more intense than everybody else's. They slept in the same small house together. They were in the middle of the sea together. They went to the hood together. They talked about Herod together. They preached everywhere. That's schooling. They had the best seminary education. And it was right at the feet of Jesus. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, was educated by Pharaoh's house. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament had the top-notch education. God used him to write 13 books. God used Moses to write five, most of the Old Testament. So we can't demean education. We don't worship education, but we can't demean it. And we as a church have to be on the front line saying, with convictional kindness to JCPS, we want to be involved in the education process. And that's what's going on in our cities we want to help take responsibility for. Them. So, as a church, in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to be talking about what that looks like for us as a church. And we're going to be having meetings with uh, former educators and current educators and, and our youth pastor and workers saying, Every child, and this is how we start at home, every child at Forest Baptist Church, we want to help as a church to make sure they're doing well in school. Every mother and every father that feels overwhelmed with their child and that has given up, we want to come alongside and point them to the right resources. Got some people that's educated that made it through. Some people that started with nothing and now by God's grace made it through the system and we want you to come to the table and tutor and pray and assist. I'm going to show you a quick slide as we get ready to close and hopefully this shows you the the desperate need that uh, is, is here in Louisville. I mentioned it last Week. This is a chart showing the inequity between racial, uh, between student groups in Jefferson County. And this is showing the suspension rate of student groups. Now, mind you, African American studies say make up maybe 12, 13% of the population, maybe different now, but we make up 60% of suspension. 3% Hispanics, 20% whites, 2 plus, uh, 2% another race, 0% Asian. Okay? That should really burden us as a community. That should make us say, as a people, we need to do something. We can't affect those numbers uh, in, a, in a huge way, possibly as one small church, but we can we can take it down to percentage point. We can adopt a high school and mentor some of these boys as our local high schools and middle schools are saying we need men to come into school, give us an hour, and talk to these men who don't have fathers. Micah says, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord your God. For those who don't know Jesus that's here today, I pray uh, that if one of the reasons you say you don't want to join a church or know Jesus is because the church isn't doing anything and being a Christian doesn't make a difference, I pray that today helps you to see that, no, the Bible says different. And that the church is a mighty force. And we may not always get it right, but we've been given the tools to make a difference. And that we don't just talk, but we want to put our money where our mouth is. And even as you look at internationally, like I said, the Baptist Global Response and the North American Mission Board, uh, Christians are making a difference as we're one of the first crisis action people to most scenes of crisis. But also pray that today you'll be burdened with your own sinfulness. And that you'll be confronted with this truth that the Bible says that every single person is born with injustice in his heart and is incapable of doing good by God's standards. And every single person that is born of a woman is born with a sentence to hell. Eternal separation by God. Because without God, it is impossible without Jesus to please God. And today, I'm I'm, I'm warning you that this, this God that we're talking about, that one day he's coming back and he's going to make all things right. And those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, those who don't believe that he's coming back again to make all things right, will be punished. Salvation is not attained by your good works or by your good deeds or by you doing justice. No, we do justice from a heart that has been changed. Salvation is attained by you seeing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And you humbling yourself and trusting Jesus as your Savior. If you don't know Jesus today, I beg you, I beg you to get to know Jesus. We look at this crisis in Iraq, and we mourn. The Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. I pray that our hearts is wrenched. I pray as we look at the news that we won't just look at the news, shake our heads, say, oh, how bad. I pray that it will cause you to get on the floor and to cry out for these people as if that was your mother on that mountain, as if that was your father on that mountain. Christians. Because those who have been born again, we mourn with those who mourn knowing that we will be comforted. If you don't know Jesus, my challenge to you today is to get to know Jesus. If you do know Jesus, my challenge for you is to search your heart, look to his grace, and pray, Lord, soften my heart so that I care about justice. For us, let's be a church that makes a difference. Let's be a people that care. Let's believe that in the presence of God there is the fullness of joy and nothing else will satisfy us. Like him and but him. Let's pray. Gracious Father.